This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Hey everybody, what's going on? I'm Rob Faye. Welcome to your Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 28th day of March, and I hope this podcast finds you well. And over the last couple of months, we have done a podcast that has pretty much been Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com and myself. And yes, I will catch up with Robert Simpson in the next couple of days. But uh, today, I just wanted to talk to you and me. There's so many things going on in the world right now. So many things that, well, I guess you would say some align with sports, some don't, and some I feel almost as if they should, but I understand why they don't. So let's get into it. we got a lot to talk about. We will touch on the NBA. We will touch on Major League Baseball. Toronto Blue Jays looking pretty good this year. Seattle Mariners not too shabby either. We will talk about March Madness. There's no doubt that Duke, North Carolina, with a ticket to the championship game, including Mike Krzyzewski's final game, potentially as the head coach at Duke University, is worth talking about. So yeah, let's get to a little bit of everything. But let me get you to that one story that rises above all the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest. Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So it's hard for me to believe that it has already been more than a month since Russia invaded Ukraine. And I know what you're thinking. This is Sports Bar Radio. I try to get away from the world by clicking on this podcast and talking about sports. I don't want to get into the troubles of the world, but it's an interesting intersection between sport and what is happening in the real world because there has been pressure on Russian athletes to step forward and condemn what is happening. Now, again, if a Russian like a, let's take Alexander Ovechkin, for example, probably and I correct me if I'm wrong, the most notable Russian athlete in North America. And for him to come forward and criticize Putin or Russia's aggression, which is taking them into Ukraine right now, uh, would probably be applauded loudly in the United States. I don't think he has to have an opinion. And the reason that I say this, and this is where I'm going to pull the lens back, how many active wars do you think are currently going on around the world right now? I know that CNN and Fox News and everybody is giving 24-7 coverage to Russia, Ukraine, but this is not the only war or conflict between different countries that is currently taking place. Half of Africa is fighting right now. There is fighting in the Middle East. There is a drug war that is going on in several countries in South America and Central America. We never talk about those. We don't ask our athletes who are residing in the United States or in North America to all of a sudden step to the podium and condemn their countries. I don't think people understand the pressure that it puts on an athlete when all of a sudden they have to politicize their beliefs, that they have to put that in front on the table in front of everybody and then all of a sudden have to quote unquote pick a side. So when somebody says, well, I don't understand why Alexander Ovechkin isn't doing more or saying more or condemning what's going on, hey, listen, if he does, that's his choice. If you're going to hold Alexander Ovechkin and the Russians, if you want to centralize this a little closer to Vancouver, Vasily Podkolzin, 
If you want to talk to them about stepping up to the mic and condemning what is going on overseas, then you need to make sure that you go out and get every athlete in every sport, in every major league, to make sure that they are also condemning what is going on in their regions. It's not as easy as it sounds, is it? As of last year, and I'm going to go back to 2021, here are the countries that are at war or at least have a civil war going on. Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Mexico, Yemen, Algeria, Cameroon, Chad, Colombia, the Congo, Iraq, Libya, Mali, Mozambique, Myanmar, Niger, Nigeria, South Sudan, Tanzania, Tunisia, and Syria. Whether it's a civil war, terrorist insurgencies, or a drug war, there are fights going on in more than 20 countries around the world. It's not the one where the United States has its vested interests. I'm not saying that what Russia did was right, but I'm saying when you hold an athlete to the fire because they are not saying the narrative that you want to hear, that is not their problem. I love sport because sport allows me to get away from the real world for even just a couple of hours. I know that after I leave that stadium, I got to walk through those big gates and go right back to reality. But you know what? I understand why certain athletes don't want to be the poster boy for what's going on politically or what's going on in their countries. I think we should leave them alone. And I think we've actually now stepped away. I don't think there's many people talking about Alexander Ovechkin in particular. And again, he's not the only Russian in the NHL playing by any stretch of the imagination. But you think of the NBA. You think of Major League Baseball. There are athletes from different countries who are in conflict right now. And they don't feel nearly the pressure that Russians right now feel here in North America to try and tow the political line. If you want to watch sports, that's fine. But you cannot hold your athletes accountable to what they feel politically. They don't follow you into the voting booth, and you shouldn't follow them into theirs. If they want to step forward and become the face of that, then that's on them. But if they don't, it shouldn't matter either way. All right, let's get to the rest of the news of the day. we got a lot of stuff we're going to get into. We're going to talk basketball, both pro, and we're going to talk about Coach K. We're going to talk about the NHL. We're going to talk about Major League Baseball that is back on the diamond doing big things and so much more. Let me get you to that one part of the sports bar where we house it all. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. Ten topics, ten minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, let's start with the National Hockey League. And I know that if you've listened to this podcast over the last month or so, it has been very Canuck-centric. Let me try to diversify and show you that I know more than just a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks. I want to start with the Montreal Canadiens, who this week were eliminated from postseason consideration just a year after going to the Stanley Cup final. I can't get over it, but yet I love it as a Leaf fan. I'm just saying they failed to make the playoffs one season after reaching the finals. Go figure. It is the second time since 1967. This is considered the NHL's modern era that the Canadians have missed the playoffs the season after reaching the Stanley Cup final. They lost in five games to Tampa Bay and from there, 
the wheel on the wagon got wobbly in a hurry, didn't it? Now, a lot of people in Montreal are going to tell you that it had to do with major injuries. Uh, you want to talk about Carey Price and his absence away for personal reasons? Sure. You don't have your defenseman and your captain, Shea Weber. You don't have Joel Edmondson. And you can talk about the fact that those three pieces probably are going to lessen you significantly. But let's be honest. I think the Montreal Canadiens' demise started before the puck was even dropped. Whether it was the draft, whether it was the way they handled free agency, whether it was all of it, Mark Bergevin couldn't get this thing right. And you got to think that the added pressure of having just been to the Stanley Cup final was almost too much for anybody to take place. But think about the start that Montreal had when they finally did drop the puck. 3-10-1 in their first 14 games. They were one of the few teams that had a worse record than the Vancouver Canucks. Over the course of the season, they had a six-game losing streak, a seven-game losing streak, and a 10-game losing streak. And it's because they couldn't score and they couldn't stop the puck. So what ends up happening? Well, Mark Bergevin finally feels the axe on November the 28th after the Habs were 6-15-2. Jeff Gorton comes in, Kent Hughes hired as GM, and coach Dominic Ducharme fired February the 8th, and Martin St. Louis comes in on the interim role. Now, I think that this could be one of those cases where they were near the ceiling, hit the floor, and can bounce back relatively quickly. Gorton, St. Louis, I think are great. And, you know, Hughes, I don't have a huge body to work on, but I will say this, that if you have Martin St. Louis, Gordon, and now Vincent LeCavalier is a special advisor to Hockey Ops. They hired him back on February the 18th. This is a management team that cares not just about hockey, but cares about Montreal specifically. And I got to think that the Habs are going to bring back St. Louis if he wants. More good news for the Canadiens, despite this miserable season where they've already been eliminated from the postseason. They have 14 draft picks at the upcoming draft, which happens to be at the Bell Center in early July. Two first-round picks this year, and could have more by the time this is all said and done. I don't think you can bet on Carey Price at any point anymore. 34 years old, still one of the greatest. He's going to be a Hockey Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. But whether it is a fresh start next season, I think you absolutely unequivocally got to start shopping for a goaltender as the heir apparent. So again, the Habs are hitting rock bottom. But when you think of the draft, the new regime in place, there is hope in La Belle Provence. Okay, let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks, who, of course, had their own regime change about, what, 25 games into the season, and they have righted their ship somewhat. A lot of optimism here on the West Coast. And tonight, optimism as they get ready to take on the St. Louis Blues in St. Louis. Now, why would you be optimistic against a very good Blues team? Well, they have lost five of their past six and are scuffling probably more than at any point they have this season. And they're looking to avoid yet another home loss as they drop the first two games of a current three-game homestand uh, getting outscored by the Flyers and the Hurricanes 12-4 over that stretch. Their most recent loss, a 7-2 drubbing at the hands of Carolina back on Saturday. Blues right now do hold the first wildcard spot in the West and are just one point behind Nashville for third in the Central with two games in hand on the Predators. Now, what do the Canucks have to do if they want to pull this one out tonight? They've actually got a better record on the road than they do at home this year. And some might be wondering if Thatcher is starting to get a little fatigued. I know you're probably thinking, what are you talking about? He just had one of his best games of the season, which included a Scorpion save just hours ago. What the hell are you talking about? I'm just saying that this is one of those games where he's going to have to be razor sharp again 
as the Blues do not want to get swept for this homestand. Jordan Bennington's going to get the start for St. Louis. And the Blues have the fourth best power play in the entire league. The Canucks are dead last in the NHL with a penalty killing efficiency of just over 72%. I'm going to take the Canucks in this one. I think it's going to be a 3-2 final. Canucks need this victory. And again, St. Louis 1-5 in their last six home games, but trying to avoid a three-game sweep at home. By the way, last time these two teams got together, St. Louis won that game 3-1, despite Vancouver outshooting them 39-17. All right, let's go to the diamond. And we always talk about the big spenders, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, you know, here or there. Right now, Major League Baseball, MLB.com, coming out with their most loaded lineups. They ranked all 30 teams in Major League Baseball Dodgers coming in with the most quote-unquote loaded lineup, and you think of the top five, it's, well, a top six, top seven. Hell, one through nine is pretty good. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Max Muncie, Will Smith, Justin Turner hitting sixth, Cody Bellinger's hitting seventh. The Dodgers are phenomenal and are the favorites to win the World Series this year. But guess who comes in at number two? And I know what you're thinking, just by the way that I said that. Yeah, it is the Toronto Blue Jays. They had the highest team OPS in all of Major League Baseball last season at 797. That, of course, was with Marcus Simeon hitting 45 home runs and also adding 39 doubles. But you look at what the Blue Jays are right now, and there could be another move. But if you gave me Springer, Bouchette, Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Matt Chapman, then Lourdes Gurriel, that one through six is as good as any in baseball. Maybe not the marquee names that you'll see in the pinstripes, but this is a team that a lot of people in baseball are saying could be coming out of the American League this year. Again, Guerrero had numbers in all the right places last season, but he wasn't alone. Springer, Hernandez, Bichette, Chapman, and Guriel could all be impact players this year. White Sox came in at number three, the Atlanta Braves coming in at number four, and rounding out the five most loaded lineups in Major League Baseball, the New York Yankees, who to me are still an unbelievably good team. Rizzo, Judge, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton, Josh Donaldson, and Glaber Torres. That is a pretty damn good lineup as well. So I think it's going to come down to pitching. You think of DJ LeMahieu as well. And uh, hard to believe that the Red Sox, with that lineup that they have, with Kiki Hernandez, Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, uh, Bobby Dalback, Alex Verdugo, are all the way down at number six. Where are the Seattle Mariners? Good question. They got the proverbial honorable mention. If Jared Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez can find their footing, according to MLB.com, the Mariners could be a pretty decent team to rise up those rankings as they added Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez as well. A couple of quick moves when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays. They optioned right-hander Hagen Danner, catcher Gabby Moreno, who is a really highly sought-after prospect, and Orelvis Martinez, who had a couple of big home runs for the Blue Jays against the Phillies this spring. Okay. Let's jump to the association, and uh, it's the team I just can't take my eyes off this year. The Los Angeles Lakers right now are currently 10th in the West, 31-43. and 43. They're behind teams like the T-Wolves, the Pelicans, the Clippers. I mean, just to talk about those who are in the middle ground of the Western Conference, forget Phoenix or Memphis or Golden State or Dallas or Utah or Denver, who are also ahead of the Lakers, but how the heck did this happen? They've lost two in a row. They've won three in their last ten. LeBron is spouting off, and this is a team in complete disarray. 
And it's not going to get easier, as right now their opportunity to make it to the postseason is in serious jeopardy. Only eight games left on the sked, and they've got to take on Dallas, Utah, Golden State, all one more time. They've also got Denver twice, and then the Phoenix Suns once, plus they've got another matchup against the Pelicans, who just a couple of hours ago came from behind and beat the Lakers to push them down to 10th in the West. Frank Vogel saying after that loss that, quote, it hurts. Time's running out for us. We came out with a proper urgency for this game, but we were not able to close it. Spurs are just one game back from catching the Lakers and pushing them below the bar. Now, for those who don't follow basketball, let me just explain it to you because you're probably saying, well, if they're 10th, aren't they already out of the postseason? The NBA Western Conference play-in tournament has the 7-8 and then the 9 and the 10 getting together. Two of those teams then advance to the Western Conference playoffs. The 8 seed takes on the Suns, as of right now. The 7 seed takes on the Grizzlies, and that's when the real games start. So there's a lot of basketball ahead, and I just wonder if the Lakers aren't simply out of gas. Which is amazing to me when you think of the names on that roster, including the best in the game, LeBron James. Toronto Raptors looking like they're going to be able to punch their ticket to the postseason. They have won two games in a row. They are 8-2 and two in their past 10. And realistically, hanging around with some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Just one game back of Chicago, who started the season gangbusters. They've kind of come back down to reality with just four wins in their past 10 games. But again, the Raptors with 42 wins. That's just a few less than Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Miami, and Boston. Uh, Miami and Boston with 47 wins. So you think of the fact that the Raptors, with a team that has really had some changeover over the last two to three seasons, that they have still been able to keep their head above water, fending off teams like Brooklyn, Charlotte, Cleveland to this point in the season. That's pretty inspiring. And uh, again, if they get into the postseason and it was to start tomorrow, the only problem the Raptors face is they would get Milwaukee in the first round, the defending NBA champions. All right, to the NFL, and I grew up in Ontario, as I'm sure it's pretty well documented on this podcast or anywhere that you've heard me speak, but one of the things as a child growing up that I always had to decide is we got two channels. One of them had the Buffalo Bills game, and one of them had the Detroit Lions game, because geographically, those were the two closest NFL markets to Toronto. So, I, because back then, the Buffalo Bills were phenomenal, four straight trips to the Super Bowl. I was watching the likes of Bruce Smith and Daryl Talley and every Jim Kelly doing their big things, Thurman Thomas in Buffalo, and they would always play at this dreary stadium in Orchard Park. Now, you fast forward, what, 30 years, and you say to yourself, man, if there was ever a franchise that needed a new stadium, well, guess what? The official groundbreaking for a new open-air stadium that will seat 62,000, the state of New York coming to a 30-year agreement for a $1.4 billion stadium for the Buffalo Bills still in Orchard Park. So shovels in the ground in 2023, completion date of 2026. I'm a little surprised it's an open-air stadium, but at the same time, the chill in New York is something that I think a lot of fans take pride in, and it will probably be a fantastic-looking venue. As again, they have long needed a new NFL facility, and uh, good for them. And it also means that the Buffalo Bills aren't going to have to bounce back and forth with Toronto as to whether they're coming or whether they're going. The Bills with the new 30 year agreement with the state of New York and the NFL's contribution of 200 million was in fact factored into the funding package. 
Now, unlike Toronto, where the Blue Jays are going to try to renovate Skydome, the Bills' existing facility just too expensive to renovate. There was a study that the state took on uh, back in November, and they said that the renovations would cost $862 million. So, hey, for an extra, what, $600 million, you can get yourself a brand-new stadium that the state of New York and the city of Buffalo can get behind. So, congrats to the Buffalo Bills. And finally, Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll coming forward uh, recently in an interview saying that he wouldn't mind, get a load of this, he wouldn't mind adding a fourth quarterback to the Seahawks training camp roster. Now, a couple of years ago, I, I know where you're going. I know where you're going, Rob. I, I, and it's true. But you think of a couple of years ago when the Seattle Seahawks were kind of kicking tires on Colin Kaepernick. And you think right now of the changes that the Seattle Seahawks are going through as they look for a guy that can be able to come in and follow Russell Wilson. You would assume that it is Drew Locke, but could the Seattle Seahawks dabble on Colin Kaepernick, who's been out of the game for a number of years. He'd probably have to start behind Jacob Eason and Drew Locke and everybody else and earn his way through. But the question is, would it be worth the drum banging because you know that means hundreds of cameras are going to follow the Seattle Seahawks around camp and there's going to be a huge political angle to this and everybody's going to wonder if Colin Kaepernick is going to be able to get a true shot and make his way back into the NFL. I think training camp is where you take your chances like this. Can't do it in the middle of a season, but I do think that if you're going to simply bring him in and have a look, let him earn it. And if he gets equal snaps, equal opportunities, and shows that he can do it, well, guess what? You got yourself a quarterback that everybody in the world is going to be looking in on. And if he can't, then you know. And then we all know that the game has passed him by, that five years out of the game was just too much. I had a conversation just the other day. Why didn't Colin Kaepernick ever go to the Canadian Football League? You hear about the likes of a Johnny Manziel wanting to try his luck up here or a number of different players who thought maybe they'll go up to the Canadian Football League and see if they could resurrect their career. You know, we've been talking about that for, what, 40, 50 years now, back to the days of Warren Moon and Doug Flutie. But Colin Kaepernick has never, ever chosen to go north of the border and play in the Canadian Football League. Now, I'm not sure if that's a legal reason or he just snubbed his nose at the Canadian Football League, what have you, but I do believe that if the Seattle Seahawks were to bring Colin Kaepernick in on just a tryout, he's coming to training camp, he's going to get some reps, we're going to get a look at him, he's still got to beat out everybody that we've got on our roster, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it. And the only reason I bring it up, if this was any other team, I'd probably say no. Seahawks have always kind of been that one name, that one team that has been floating around on whether or not they would ever bring him in. Remember, they were going to do it, but then they thought it might be too much of a feather ruffling for Russell Wilson. Well, guess what? Russell Wilson's in the Mile High City now, living the dream. If you were ever going to do it uh, against Father Time, against all the odds, this would be the training camp to bring in Colin Kaepernick. If he does well, then guess what? You found a diamond in the rough. And if not, well, hey, you gave him the opportunity he couldn't do it, and you know what? There's no harm in trying. It's training camp, right? And you're still going to get your guys ready for the start of the 2022 season. What do you think? Hit me up on Twitter. Should the Seahawks, now that they're looking for a fourth quarterback in training camp, go out and give an opportunity to one Colin Kaepernick? Hit me up at Rob Fay, R-O-B-F is in Frank, A-I, and uh, we'll find a prize for somebody who comes up with the best answer 
to that question on my social media over the next couple of days. All right, that's it. A bit of an old sound to Sports Bar Radio today. My thanks to everybody at Equity Guru, to Chris Perry, the guru himself, uh, to Rob Simpson, to Galen, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. I am Rob Fay for the final time. You've been listening to Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. Let's talk again soon. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.